uh, between Jairus and also the, the woman had been subject to bleeding. At the weekend away, Stu was kind of very interactive in his sermons, and I thought that was really helpful, and I think people found it helpful, and I'm keen to hear from you if you find it helpful or not, if you find it distracting and intimidating. But there's a couple of little questions along the way today I want to ask you, so kind of just brace yourself for that. Um, we're thinking about true faith today. What is true faith? What does it look like? Um, do I have it? How do we know we truly Trust in Jesus. I wonder, does anyone remember the story of Charles Blondin, the famous tightrope walker? I've talked about him. Yeah, everyone knows the story. Okay, so I won't go into too much depth. He, um, famous tightrope walker back in the middle 1800s, and his most famous feat was to tightrope walk across Niagara Falls um, from USA to Canada, 340-metre stretch, 45 metres, 50 metres above the water. And he did it heaps and heaps of times, different times. And he did it blindfolded, and he did it backwards, and he did it... Uh, one time he stopped in the middle and he cooked an omelette, apparently. Um, and one time he did it backwards with a wheelbarrow. And uh, people were kind of like, ooh, and ah. And, and when he got to the, the edge, after walking backwards, after cooking an omelette and all the things, and walking backwards with, with the wheelbarrow, he got to the edge, and he, everyone's like, wow, you're amazing, Blondin. And he said, anybody want to get into the wheelbarrow? And we'll go back across. And um, do you think we could do it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, who wants to volunteer? Oh, no. <laughs> no way, man. I'm not getting in that wheelbarrow. Even though they seemingly had faith in Blondin, they didn't really. If they really trusted him, like really, they would have gotten the wheelbarrow, wouldn't they? Surely they would have trusted him to get in the wheelbarrow and they would have been famous. He did actually carry his boss across on his back sometime later. Interesting. I wonder, what are some ways you feel your faith tested? In life, as you're going through life, with your family, with your work, with your colleagues, with your friends, are there times when you feel your faith tested? Like you're just not, you follow Jesus, you trust in him, but there's this part of your life where you just think he can't really help, or he'll drop the ball, or he'll drop you, and so you don't really trust him. You don't pray, you just kind of work it out for yourself. Is there anyone willing to share ways you've felt your faith tested? I'll go first. Um, my sister, who I love dearly, isn't a follower of Jesus. And I've prayed for her and I've taken her to, she's heard some of great sermons and taken her to church, all that kind of thing, and shared the gospel with her many times. But she doesn't trust in Jesus. And I find that hard. Really hard. And I Sometimes at my lower points, question Jesus in his goodness. My faith is tested uh, at that moment. Are there ways that you feel your faith tested that you're willing to share? Yeah, Paul. In this day and age, personal and family finances. Yeah, finances. Fronting everyone. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Does it? Do you find it a bit scary at times, like the financial situation? Yes, in the sense of the unknown. Yeah, yeah. Because we don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. 
Thanks, Paul. Thank you very much. Anybody else have ways in which their faith has been tested? Like willing to share? That's all right. <clears throat> I remember um, when we started this church eight years ago and we needed to find a building to meet in and John and I uh, tried lots and lots, <laughs> tried a lot of different things and I was just like, we're never going to find a building. <laughs> it's not going to happen. Um, my faith was tested then too. You know, are we ever going to find a building for this church to meet in? And John and I said, ah, something will come up. <laughs> and we met uh, in the Vostok's house for a while, but that was obviously not sustainable forever. Praise God for the Vostoks who opened up their home every week. Um, one week we had 42 people in their home. That was squeezy, but great. And then a guy who um, is, is one of the wardens as well, Harrington Park, has been for a long time. His business all of a sudden decided they were moving out of the, out of the hub at Smeaton Grange. And he said, oh, our business is moving out. So this factory unit's kind of up for rent, hard to find. And um, God provided. And we still have the hub. We're still renting it today, uh, eight years later. I wonder if there's times in your life when Jesus is kind of effectively called you to get in the wheelbarrow, you know, to really trust him, to really kind of throw yourself uh, on him and depend on him. And you've balked and you've kind of gone, oh, no, I'm not getting in. <laughs> I'm not going to do that. Um, well, we see a couple of people today who really put it all on the line for Jesus. They really do. Um, it's scary it's dangerous for both of them to throw their lot in with Jesus, but they both do. It's really awesome. And these two people could not be more different, actually, despite the fact they act very similarly towards Jesus. They're very different, uh, very different people. Keep your Bibles open. Um, I'm going to read it as well, but it won't be on the screen. Verse 21, when Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. So Jesus once again by the lake. Lots of, happen, lots of things happen by the lake in Mark's gospel. Jesus is often by the lake. Um, it must be nice um, to be by the lake, and he's often there. And it's all these people crowding around, um, probably hoping to see some more miracles, hoping to be the beneficiary of a miracle. So this weekend, as you know, and last weekend, as you're probably aware, Taylor Swift is in town, right? Taylor Swift is in town. I don't know if you, has anyone seen images on, on anything? Who went? Oh, you were there? Okay. So I imagine there was more than a couple of people there. I imagine there was a crowd, a, a huge crowd. Um, and I imagine it was a lot of people getting in and a lot of people there and a lot of people getting out. And it was, it was, it was busy. And, um, and that's what it was like for Jesus. There was this huge crowd that was just following everywhere and gathering him around. And often he kind of took solace by sort of retreating in, almost into the water. He'd stand on a boat to get away from the crowd. Taylor had a stage to get away from the crowd. Apparently, Taylor also hides in laundry things to get in and out of stadiums. And, but now everyone waves to the laundry thing. Hi, Taylor! As she goes past, hiding in the, yeah. Um, so everyone's learned her trick. She's going to need a new trick. So there's this huge crowd, okay, pressing around Jesus, and he's beside the lake. And verse 22, one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so she'll be healed and live. 
So Jesus went. He went with this, there's a huge crowd. Jesus starts following this guy. It would have been awkward uh, to get through the crowd. Now, we're just told just then that Jairus is a synagogue leader, which means he's a Pharisee. He's the one who uh, runs the kind of church in town, the synagogue, very highly respected, very highly regarded, very well known. He's a leader in the synagogue, not just he's he's one of the leaders, uh, one of the Pharisee leaders. Um, and he's part of the clan who will increasingly oppose Jesus to the point of um, demanding that he be executed. Um, he's part of those guys. He's part of that crew. Um, now, he chooses to do this extraordinary thing. He goes up to this carpenter from a backwater town named Jesus and he, and he throws himself on the mercy of Jesus because he's, he's desperate, but he also thinks Jesus can help him. It's potentially a career-ending move, what he's about to do. He's putting himself at odds with all of his clan, his colleagues, um, the other Pharisees. True faith in Jesus... True faith in Jesus prioritizes your relationship with him over all other relationships. True faith in Jesus prioritizes your relationship with him over everyone else, even your friends and even your family. True faith doesn't necessarily end all your your relationships with all other people. Hopefully it doesn't. For people from a Muslim background, often it does. Often they're, they're pronounced dead to the family. They're certainly dead to their country of origin. Often their murder is attempted um, on them for putting their trust in Jesus. Jairus is a well-respected man in the center of Jewish society and he throws all of that on the line by asking Jesus to come and heal his daughter who's dying. Now, if you have a daughter, as do I, have a couple of those, you can especially empathize um, with Jairus. He wants to see his daughter healed. Interestingly, if you look, the word he uses there when he asks Jesus to heal her, literally the means save her. My little daughter is dying, he said. Please come and put your hands on her so she will be saved and live. Let's see how Jesus responds from verse 24. A large crowd followed and pressed around him, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. Hang on a sec. (laughs) Where'd Jairus go? Mark loves to do this. Mark loves to put stories inside other stories. It's called Mark and Sandwiches. They've got a name for it, a Mark and Sandwich. You saw one a couple of weeks ago on the screen. He loves to put a story inside another story that relates. And always the story he puts inside the other story helps us to understand both. It brings out both. And this is what he's done here. He's put this story about the woman who's been subject to bleeding for 12 years inside this story about Jairus and his daughter. So you just have to wait he's with bated breath to see what he's going to say uh, to Jairus. Okay, so... 
this woman's kind of pushed in front of Jairus, kind of pushed in front of the line in a sense, um, un unwillingly, unwittingly. Um, so imagine the scene in your mind. It's a, a huge crowd, Taylor Swift, you know, like, you know, as everyone's crowding around trying to get to Jesus, there's this massive, massive crowd. And I might add, I've never intentionally listened to a Taylor Swift song. I've, I've, I've enjoyed the ones I've, I've accidentally heard on the radio. Um, I'm not a big fan of Taylor Swift, personally. I'm not, I'm not not a fan either. I haven't listened to her music and gone, oh, that's rubbish. I just haven't listened to her music. Um, I think she's fantastic. I think the whole thing's fantastic, though. I think the world needs a Taylor Swift. I think we need this new cultural music icon in the world. It's been just miserable, really, largely, for a few years in our world, and still is largely miserable and stressful, and she's just bringing this joy and fun, and I think she's great, so there you go. I don't listen to her music, but I think it's great. The whole thing is just great. Anyway, back to the story. It's crowded. Um, Jesus is getting pressed on every side by this huge crowd. And unbeknownst to everyone but Jesus, there's a very brave, very faithful woman in the crowd who's committing a very, very serious crime under her kind of ritual laws, her Jewish laws. Um, she has been subject to bleeding for 12 years. It's just horrible. She's spent every coin she's got on doctors. She's broke, and they couldn't heal her. They couldn't help her. I know some of you have been in a situation where doctors did not have the answer for you, and she's done the right thing, as did you. She's come to Christ. Um, bleeding, for any reason, made you ceremonially unclean under, under Levitical law, which means... When you are unclean, so during your monthly period, for example, um, no relations with your husband in the normal way, you couldn't go out into society either. You couldn't mix with other people. And it sounds harsh, and it was harsh. But bleeding represents death, and death is a result of sin. So there's this strong correlation between bleeding and sin. And if you want to talk, ask me more about that, you can later on. If you want to have a look at Leviticus 15, you can learn a bit about then. There's a sermon on our website on Leviticus 15 from a couple of years back if you want to listen to it. But if that's kind of upsetting or anything, please talk to me. It was harsh. It was hard uh, for women back there. And especially for this one who's been bleeding for 12 years nonstop. It doesn't say, but no doubt she had no husband. She couldn't have kids. She couldn't mix with her friends. She couldn't see anyone. She'd been on her own. For 12 years, no human interaction. Jairus is a man in the center of Jewish society, and this woman is on the very extreme fringes of Jewish society. These two people could not be more opposite in who they are and in their background. Well, she breaks the law. In this great crowd, she pushes through the crowd. She has interact. You can't do that, but she does. In a desperate bid just to touch Jesus' clothes, not even him. She just wants to try and touch his cloak. Such is her faith that he can heal her just from his clothes. So she pushes in through this huge crowd, and she gets to him, and she touches his crowd. She believes in him. She's heard about him. She trusts him. She believes he can heal her. And again, in verse 28, if you look again, 
She thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be saved. Same word, healed, saved. Verse 29, immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. Guess what? She was right. He could heal her. He could save her. And he did. She was saved. Saved from relational death with her family and friends. Saved from her suffering in her body. But as we'll see, saved from relational death with someone infinitely more important than her friends and even her family. Verse 30, at once Jesus Jesus realized the power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and he asked, who touched my clothes? His disciples, understandably a bit perplexed (laughs) in the huge crowd, said, you see the people crowding against you and yet you ask, who touched me? They're a bit confused. But Jesus knew that it wasn't someone that bumped into him. Someone had intentionally reached out and put their hand on him. Verse 32, Jesus kept looking around to see who'd done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth in the midst of the crowd. She did this. She didn't let fear stand in the way of being honest, did she? Imagine that, a whole crowd, you know you've kind of done the wrong thing, in a sense, against all these people, thousands of people. But she didn't let that stop her coming to Christ and confessing and telling him everything, the whole story about herself. She fessed up to him. Jesus is worth the risk, isn't he? Jesus is worth the risk. Jesus is worth the risk of offending people. Jesus is worth the risk of being publicly shamed. Jesus is worth the risk of even breaking relationships with other people. And she knows that all that is on the line. Public disgrace, outrage, the end of what relationships she might have left. She puts it all on the line for him. She's trembling so much she can't stand up. And she does the thing that I need to learn to do every day, and perhaps you do too. She told him everything. She was really honest with him. She told him all of her innermost fears and feelings and thoughts and concerns. She poured it all out to Jesus. I think I need to learn to do that better. Maybe you do too. For a brief moment, tens of thousands of people just disappeared. And it was just her and her Lord. And she poured her heart out to the Lord of all creation. It's beautiful. He said to her, verse 34... Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Your faith has saved you. 
go in peace. How beautiful is that? What a Lord we have. Isn't he great? Isn't he magnificent? The effect that he has on her is healing and kindness and restoration and reconciliation with him and her people. She would have been able to have friends again and maybe even a husband. But he has a, she has an effect on him too. I wonder if you saw that. She has an effect on him. When she comes to him in humble need, humble need, in humble faith, it arouses compassion every time. When someone comes to Jesus with need and they humbly have faith, Jesus every time has compassion. That's his character. He can't help himself. He's a compassionate, merciful king. When we come to him with humble need, he has compassion. So she kind of interrupted our interaction with Jairus, but wasn't it great and beautiful? Well, now her interaction with Jesus kind of gets interrupted <laughs> by Jairus's friends. They turn up and um, they interrupt. In verse 35, while Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. So Jairus is just kind of standing to the side, patiently waiting while Jesus has this interaction with this woman. And his friends come up and they say to him, I imagine with tears and distress, after finding their way through the crowd, your daughter has passed away. There's no point troubling the teacher anymore. There's nothing he can do. Jesus can't help you now. She's died. It's over. Let's go home. What a contrast between these people standing in front of Jesus and the woman who has the utmost faith in Jesus and trust, and they say, he can't help us. We might as well go. The difference between someone with faith and without faith in Jesus is the understanding he can help. I imagine them standing side by side. Imagine her, imagine her being a little bit perplexed as she's just been healed, she's just been saved, she's just been restored by this man, Jesus, and these people come up and say, he can't help you. <laughs> Jairus, let's get out of here. But that's our experience, isn't it? In life, as followers of Jesus, we, we move and we mix with people. We are people who have faith, like the woman who was bleeding for 12 years. We have faith in Jesus, and yet we mix with these people who don't have faith in Jesus. He can't help you. Why are you bothering him? It's a great tragedy. Verse 36, overhearing what they said, Jesus told Jairus, don't be afraid, just what? Believe. Don't be afraid. He's just been told his daughter's dead. And Jesus says, don't be afraid. But it's the same pattern as with the woman, isn't it? There's much to fear in this world, as Paul very kindly shared with us. Our financial situations, it's, it's, it's hard, it's expensive. It's one of the most expensive places in the world to live. My best friend's been visiting from L.A., and they're considering a move because they hate L.A., because it's despicable. And uh, I don't know, he tells me he lives there. 
They're considering France or Brisbane, Australia or France. And one of the big differences between Australia and France is cost of living, believe it or not. France is way cheaper. Food's cheaper, houses are cheaper, coffee's cheaper. I mean, there's a reason on its own just to go to France. Coffee's cheaper. It's scary. We've got much to fear in this world. What's happening in the world, our financial situations, the opinions of others, the suffering we all face is scary. But we must not let that take away our belief in Jesus. Don't let it crowd out our trust in him who is all-powerful, so much more powerful than everything we fear is Christ. The woman pushed through her fear, trembling legs fell at his feet and found salvation in Jesus. And Jesus says to Jairus the same thing. Don't fear, believe. Verse 37. Jesus didn't let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. He does that sometimes. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion, people crying and wailing loudly, understandably. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? Isn't that a funny thing to say? This girl's just died. She's inside on her deathbed. Why all this commotion and wailing? I don't get it. It seems like a bizarre question to ask, and it is. But at the same time, if you totally, totally, totally trust in Jesus... There wouldn't be a commotion. There wouldn't be a wailing. There'd be a, she died, but Jesus is on the way. Everything's going to be okay. He went in. He said to them, why this commotion and wailing? The child's not dead, but asleep. And they laughed. Here's a question. Why did they laugh? Why'd they laugh? They thought it was absurd. Any other thoughts? They didn't trust he could do it. No. They didn't believe. They thought he was a fool. They thought he was pulling their leg. You can't, you can't do this. She's dead. They don't trust he can do it. He put them all out. I don't think he kind of went, get out of here, you idiots. I think he lovingly said, if you could step outside for a moment, that would be appreciated. Um, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him. He went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and he said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. Jesus is Lord over sickness. Jesus is Lord over death, even. He rules even death. Death obeys him. Death, go away. And death says, okay, Jesus. And death goes away, and the child comes back to life. I would feel as if I had died, I think, if I was unable to spend any time with any other human for 12 years. And I would think I had died if my 12-year-old daughter died. 
for any of my children, of course. It was interesting preparing the sermon when you actually have a 12-year-old daughter. I can't imagine the horror. I can't imagine the terror of my child being on death's door and then dying. And Jesus says, don't be afraid. Just believe. So what do we take away from this today? What is true faith? True faith is risky, isn't it? These people put their reputations on the line. They put their public sort of disgrace on the line, their jobs on the line, relationships and family on the line. But Jesus was worth it. He's always worth it. Every time. It's worth risking everything and anything for him. It's worth taking the risk for Jesus. It's worth putting your reputation on the line. It's worth even putting relationships on the line for him. I wonder if anyone has a story of risking reputation and relationship. I'd love for you to share it over morning tea. We're running out of time now. I'd love to hear it in the crowd. But if you've risked your reputation, or please share at morning tea um, with me and others. Juan has a story. Um, you've risked your reputation. You've risked relationships uh, for Christ. I'd love to hear your story. I'd love for you to share that story. True faith is willing to risk everything for Jesus. And the secret to true faith is trusting him and then telling him everything. I would hazard a guess that no one in this room has ever told anyone everything about themselves. Maybe you have. What a blessed friend you have in that person. But you probably haven't and you probably never will. But you can tell Jesus everything and anything. Firstly, he knows. And secondly, despite he knows, he loves you still. And he has compassion on you, particularly the hard things that you don't want to talk about, particularly the shameful things that you never want anyone to know about. The deep sin, perhaps, that no one knows about, or only a small few, perhaps. Jesus has great, greatest compassion. When we come to him with these things, his response is even greater compassion because that's his character. He can't but help show compassion. When the woman came to him afraid and ashamed and suffering, he couldn't help but have compassion. He loves to show compassion and he loves to show mercy. I wonder, do you trust him enough to tell him everything? You can trust him enough. You know, it's a wonderful blessing to share these things with Christ, knowing he loves you and does not condemn you. That bleeding woman must have felt so alone in the world. And maybe you've had times in your life when you feel really alone in the world. Maybe you're not literally alone, but you're alone in your thinking you're alone in your feelings, you're alone in your struggles, but you're not alone with Jesus. You can come to him and tell him everything. You can trust him. Let me pray. 
Loving Father, Almighty God, thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you for his kindness. Thank you for his love for others. Thank you for his compassion and his mercy on us weak sinners who struggle and suffer and worry and are fearful. We thank you for Christ. We can thank you. We can bring all of our concerns to him, all of our fears, all of our worries. And we think that he's powerful to save and powerful to help. And God, help us by your Holy Spirit to trust him fully, deeply, completely in all things. And then to pray with great hope and courage and honesty. In Jesus' name, amen.